Greetings, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. For this episode, Joe will be discussing his recent Alaska trip, and we will be reviewing the Taylor Swift Reputation World Tour that we attended the other night. We will conclude with our very popular Stuff We Love segment. Let's meet the hosts this evening. I'm Scott. I'm Joe. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love podcast. Welcome to Stuff We Love podcast. So, Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you now for a summary about your recent trip to Alaska. I'm going to let you take us through it, and I'll chime in with some questions along the way. Absolutely. I, I want to talk about my recent trip. I was uh, just in Alaska. I was there for 10 days. I did not do a cruise. I planned and um, uh, scheduled a land tour. So what we did was we flew into Anchorage, uh, which is main, the, the main city where, you know, with, with the main airport there. I mean, there are a couple other cities like Juneau and Fairbanks that have airports, but pretty much everybody flies to Anchorage. We rented a car when we landed. I went with my uh, wife and we essentially just drove around to a couple of tourist attractions and towns and things like that. And that pretty much took up the whole trip. We actually ended up putting over a thousand miles on the rental car. Wow. Um, which when you zoom out into the map of Alaska, it looks like we did absolutely nothing in the state because the state is so big. Um, and so, Scott, you, you know where we live, a thousand miles would cross our state, you know, multiple times. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. So you flew into Anchorage. You said, how big is the airport there? The airport was a, a normal sized airport for a small city. I mean, Anchorage is not a big city. It's actually, I, I, I'm guessing here, maybe 300,000 people. Okay. And that is pretty much half of the entire population of the state who lives in Anchorage. Oh, mm -hmm. So you can imagine how empty it was. After you leave Anchorage, you're driving around and there's just it's, – it's very empty and desolate. But it, it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. So we landed in Anchorage. The first thing we did was we got the car and we drove down to a town called Seward. Mm -hmm. And it, you, you drive on this road. It's a national scenic highway – byway, really. It's called the Turnigan Arm – road i guess or the seward highway and you're you're in this thing called the turning an arm and basically the entire drive you're looking out over this huge ocean or bay um you know just a huge body of water there's mountains and snow-capped mountains coming up all around you it was just one of the most beautiful drives i've ever seen in my life how long and did it take you to drive there so to seward it took about two and a half to three hours, three hours on the way there. Cause we stopped, you know, looked at some overlooks and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and probably two and a half hours on the way back to Anchorage. Okay. Seward is a tourist town. It's, um, it's pretty much the gateway town to Kenai Fords national park. So as you know, listeners, listeners of the show know, I always like to go to some national parks on my trip. So we went to this the first place was Seward Kenai Fords national park. In Seward, the town of a couple thousand people, normal town, you know, restaurants. It was really a nice little town. Uh, they have a harbor there where cruise ships dock mm -hmm. as a port of call. Uh, and on the last day we were there, there was a huge cruise ship parked in the harbor. We stayed at a hotel called the Harbor 360 Hotel, which is on the harbor. Mm -hmm. Great view. Um, the hotel was it was perfect for what I needed. You know, nice room, clean, and. Uh, was not in the center of town, but it was where the harbor is. So there were still things to walk to, like ice cream and restaurants and things like that. And then in the center of town is, you know, more of a downtown street area. 
where there's shops and restaurants and just what you would expect in a tourist town. It was so, so, yeah. I was going nice. to ask you if you think the town of Seward is is a tourist town. If that's what basically keeps the economy going there, is it? Uh... Well, the interesting thing was when I was talking to some of the locals there, they said they were happy that it. In this town, it, the harbor doesn't freeze over in the winter, even though it gets very cold, obviously. Um, so they, their two industries are fishing mm-hmm. and tourism. So they welcome the tourists, and especially with the national park there, a lot of people go there. And then fishing is an actual industry in the town. So it's, you know, for Alaska, a normal town that's pretty much operating all year long. Another question, Joe, before you continue, is most of the tourists that you saw or met, were they American or were they international? I would say most of the tourists that I saw were American. Mm-hmm. Um, everywhere, wherever I went, there were a lot of um, European tourists, but I think the majority were American tourists on cruises mm-hmm. or coming off of a cruise and doing a land excursion from the cruise. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you, another hotel I stayed in later on was is basically a, a stop on a cruise tour land excursion, and everybody there was American from the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me just... I just want to talk about Seward a little bit. Yes. We spent a couple of nights there. Um, we ate at a restaurant called The Cookery, which is, if you ask anybody down there, it's the best restaurant in town, and I wholeheartedly agree. It was a great meal, uh, which I honestly was surprised about doing research on. Uh, I, I thought that we weren't going to get any good meals, but I was wrong the entire trip. We ate at a lot of great restaurants. But if anybody is ever in Seward, which I highly recommend, uh, go eat at The Cookery. Uh, one day that we were there, we took a kayaking trip into Kenai Fords National Park. We went to um, a glacier called Bear Glacier. And so you had to take a helicopter to the lake or you know whatever the glacier lake is there. Um, and then they, the guide that we were with had kayaks waiting for us. And I was there with my wife and one other couple. That's it. We were the only people there. And it was just a great experience, and the guide was great. Um, and she was from a company called Adventure 60 North. And Adventure 60 North does these you know, guided trips. Um, there's, there's quite a few companies, but I was doing some research, and I went with them, and I was happy I did. I thought they were great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the helicopter ride was very cool. I've never been on a helicopter before. It was a very small helicopter. It was probably as big as my car. Wow. And uh, so it was a little scary at first, but it was it was a, an awesome experience. So that that was basically half of the day. And then when we got back from that trip, we went over to Kenai Fords National Park and we went on a hike towards um, the Exit Glacier. And that is basically, if you're not doing a boat tour in the park, that is the other main attraction. So there was this huge glacier in the park. Uh, it's very interesting when you're there, there's these signs as you go towards the glacier of different years that the glacier was at before it melted away. Hmm. And I'm talking, I mean, this could have been over a mile of the walk as this, this glacier is melting away to where it is now. And it's just a really cool thing to see um, because eventually that glacier is going to be gone. So and when you would, I'm glad when you I was there. walk on the glacier, did you have to wear special shoes? Like, what did you? Well, you, you, you couldn't walk on Exit Glacier um, it, unless you did a guided tour. We did not do that. What we did was we just hiked up to what they had an overlook. And then you could have gone a little bit further uh, towards the glacier and, uh, you know, it would be right there. But you couldn't go legally. You couldn't go on it. Right. Which I didn't um, unless you were with a guided tour. And we did see the guided tours there uh, that other companies were running and people were in safety gear with shoes and helmets and, um, you know, the ropes to one another so that they didn't fall into any 
crevasses or anything like that. Wow. Uh, so it was that day. That was just one full day right there. And when you're in Alaska in the summer, the, the sun barely sets. So it's basically 21, 22 hours of daylight. And then even at nighttime, it's really not that dark. It's essentially like twilight normally. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the days are full. You could do anything all day long. So you're never... And it really screws with your, uh, you know, your body rhythm. So I never knew when I was tired or awake or anything like that. Yeah. It was just, it was interesting. So that was the full day. That took all day, you know. And then we just hung out. We walked around town that night. And then the next day we did a hike at the National Park uh, called the Harding Icefield Hike. And this hike, um, it was a strenuous hike, but it went up and around Exit Glacier so that you were on top of, basically overlooking the top of the glacier and the ice field that was there. Um, and that was just an amazing hike. And then we were finished there. We drove back to Anchorage that night. We stayed at a hotel called the Lakefront Anchorage Hotel. It's a, a Millennium uh, Resorts Hotel. It was, it was, again, perfect for what I needed. It was right by the airport, which is uh, was good for us because we had a trip booked the next day to go to another national park to do some bear watching. Mm-hmm. They have these trips um, where you have to fly into these other national parks. What I found interesting about Alaska was there are almost no roads. Everybody seems to own a plane, and that's how you get from place to place. I have heard that before, which is unbelievable to me. And it's... the plane and the planes are very small. They're not like jets or anything like that. They're literal propeller planes. We were on a plane. Some guy was spinning the propeller to start it up. It was like a 1940s war movie. So it's like here if we were going to go three miles away to the supermarket or a store we get in our cars. But in Alaska, for some of those people... If they're going to go any real distance, they have to take a plane. Yeah, for not in Anchorage or Seward or anything right. like that. But if you were out in some of the wilderness areas, everybody has a plane. That's the way to get around. It was That's really interesting to see. I know. It was crazy. Um, so the next day after that, we stayed the night at the Lakeford Anchorage. And then we um, got up and we went with a company called Regal Air. And they took us out to Katmai National Park. And we did a bear watching tour out there. Katmai is a famous national park and. Whenever people see pictures of bears catching salmon, jumping in the river, uh, that is where you're seeing it. It's jumping over the waterfall into the bear's mouth, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you Google Katmai National Park, that's probably the first thing that will come up. So we did that. It was an all-day trip, probably 12 to 13 hours long. They, uh, you flew out there in these little planes, and you landed at a place called King Salmon, Alaska. When you got off the plane in King Salmon, there is essentially nothing there. You're looking at an airport, which is really like an airstrip, and a couple of buildings. And then they took us over to the river where we got on a float plane, literally a plane that was on the water. And we flew over to Katmai National Park, where the the park rangers gave you what they called bear school, bear safety school. Uh, and then they set you loose, and you went off into the park to see these um, the bears that were there over at the uh, Brooks Falls River. Now, d- did you go off on your own or did a guide take you there? No, you went off on your own. Basically, there were guides all over the place. There were guides at different parts where if a bear was in the area, they would hold you up until the bear moved along. Right. Uh, but at one point, we were walking on the trail and a gigantic grizzly bear was coming down the trail at us. And essentially what they told you in bear school when you were there was just let the bear go and do its thing, get off the trail, don't make eye contact with it and all those things. Um, and a, a they were right. The bear then just veered off into the woods, but the bear, it was right there. It was um, an interesting experience. I loved it. It was awesome. Well, let me, let's elaborate on this because this is something most people don't ever get to experience in their life. When you first saw the bear, were you nervous? 
Um, a little bit, but I knew the Bears were in they they were in the area. It's something I knew I could see, so I wasn't that nervous. And we were with a group of probably about six people, uh, which uh, is obviously their safety in numbers. Bears don't want to mess with people unless they have to. Right. Um, so I really wasn't. I was a little bit nervous just because of the thought that you're in the wild with a bear that could you know one swipe and you know everybody's probably seen the revenant. That's <laughs> probably uh, you know something that would happen of course to me but um it was just an, it was like an exhilarating experience to see that bear it was awesome and and then once that was off the path we went into uh an overlook over the brooks falls which is the famous part of the park and there was probably about 15 to 20 bears there on my count which is one of the highest concentrations of bears that you'll find there and they were just catching fish and uh just doing their thing whatever that is and it was it was so worth the trip out there i can't say say anything more than that i mean it was a pricey trip but it was so worth it i would do it over and over again before we continue about this you mentioned the movie the revenant i hadn't <laughs> that's the second time today that movie came up i was having a conversation earlier about what movie leonardo dicaprio won the academy award for and yep. i couldn't remember the name of it and i looked it up online so i hadn't thought of that movie in years or whenever it was since i first saw it and it's come up twice in one day the funny thing is when I, I hadn't thought of it either since I saw the movie because, I, I, you know, it was okay. It was not great. I agree with you on that. But when I was at the Bears, uh, you know, at the, during the Bear trip, I was thinking about it because I was like, oh, my God, this is going to happen to me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then it came and then now this. So that's, that's really funny, actually. And uh, how many hours would you say you spent in this park? It wasn't very long because by the time you got there – with all the flights and everything, the first flight was probably about an hour and a half on maybe an eight-seater, you know, double-engine propeller plane, and then there was another half an hour flight there. So right there is two hours. We probably stayed about four hours in the park, and then we came, you know, then the flight back to Anchorage was another two hours or so. Are you allowed to eat in the park, or did they say that would draw the bears' attention? You you can't eat in the park. You cannot bring any food. Um, they say you know you have to lock it up in what they have. They have food storage lockers right. there. <clears throat> And uh, you're not supposed to have anything. And if anybody, I don't know if anybody lied, but if they said they had food, they weren't allowed to go out until they locked up the uh, the food in the locker. And um, I wanted to ask you one other thing. Did you have bear horns on you? No, I, I we didn't have any of that. I mean, I've hiked in bear country many times before. And the, the some people had bear bells. There, were, you know, Some people had horns or bear spray. When I was in the park, I didn't feel the need for it. There were other times when I was thinking, maybe on the Harding Icefield tra uh, Trail that I just mentioned earlier, I, I was wishing for some bear spray, even though I didn't see any, because those are the kinds of trails with high grass and things like that that you'd be worried about. Right. I really wasn't worried here just because of how many people were around and that the bears were used to people in this area. Interesting. That sounds unbelievable. That uh, Was everybody comfortable or did you get anybody on the tour that was a little bit really, really nervous? No, everybody was comfortable. I mean, it, like I said, it's it's kind of an expensive trip. So before you do it, I guess you have to know what you're getting into right. and what you're looking for. So everybody was excited to see the bears. I mean, the whole point of this is to go see bears. Right, right, of course. So, yeah, so that see, was great. Did you see any other wildlife there in the park? Not in that park. There was, I mean, other than salmon jumping in the falls, it was just bears. Right. Which is, for me, is more than enough. I mean, there are wolves in that park. There are some other animals, but uh, we didn't see anything. Speaking of salmon, when, out of curiosity, on your Alaska trip, when you would eat out in restaurants, is the seafood the recommended dishes, or do, did you go to any 
Yeah. It's mostly seafood. It's mostly seafood. Um, they basically, especially in the fishing villages, you know, like Seward, right. they either, it was either salmon or halibut and that's, they caught it that day and they brought it to the restaurant. It was probably the freshest seafood I've had in yeah. a long time. Wow. It spoils yeah. you for future uh, restaurants. It really does. I, we had halibut pretty much every day and I love that fish, but yeah. even if it got to be a bit much, it was, uh, it was just so fresh. It was great. Um, so Joe, continue with your, uh, your trip report here. Where, what did you do after the national park for the bears? So we, so after we left that national park, we, uh, drove, I, I forget the name of the road. I, I think it's the Glen highway. So we, we, we landed back in Anchorage at the airport. I got in our car and we drove probably a three hour drive to Glen Allen, Alaska. And this is when you think of Alaska as this huge place. There's nothing on this highway. Absolutely nothing. I mean, you're seeing mountains and there's some good views, but if you see one house every, you know, half an hour, it's uh, it's something. Were there gas stations? There was no gas stations, um, which I knew be going in because I had planned it all out. So I was made sure I got gas before we left. And then you got to Glen Allen, which is I'm I'm saying quote unquote a major town. There's probably 200 people in that town. Right. Um, then there was a gas station and a supermarket and some things there. So that was probably about like a three hour drive. And this is, you know, coming on to about 10 o'clock at night, but it's not dark, so it doesn't feel like that long of a drive. Um, so we stayed at a hotel there called the Copper River Princess Lodge, and that is owned by the Princess Cruise Lines. Oh, sure. So that's the hotel I was talking about where if you take in – that, in that case, if you take a Princess Cruise, the land excursions will stop at that hotel on their way to wherever they're going. Um and basically everybody there was American and they were all coming off the cruise lines and mm -hmm. it was a nice hotel, very normal. They had restaurants that were open and room service and that kind of thing. I would definitely stay there again. Mm -hmm. uh, and that hotel is right outside another national park that we went to called Wrangell St. Elias National mm -hmm. Park, which is actually the biggest national park that we have. It's like the size of three states, basically. Wow. Um, you know, three states around around the, in the northeast. But nobody goes there. There's no hotels in the park there's nothing to do it's very hard to get to so it's just like there was nobody around it was great joe let me ask you a question because uh, you've been to national parks many times i know you had to pay to go to the bear uh, i forget the name which park was that with the bears that was that, that was cat my cat mine yeah cat mine but when you go to national parks is there a f usually a fee for admittance or do, are, are most of them open for free usually there's a fee um when you go to the more popular parks like Yosemite or Rocky Mountain National Park, there's always a fee for those parks. Right. The parks in Alaska, there were no fees. Uh, that the ones, the three that I went to. If if you went to Denali National Park, I did not go to Denali, but I think there is this, uh, like a ten dollar fee for that park or something like that. And it's per day, so each day you go, you have to pay the fee. It depends on the park. So if you go to Yosemite, it's used to be twenty five dollars, and you got seven days or or oh. three or three to seven days for that. Right. In Zion National Park in Utah, it was a seven day pass, um, so it's not per day. It's right. Basically, it's per week. Right. Right. So it's really, I mean, it's amazing. But I have what's called the America's National Park Pass. Oh. Which um, you pay. I think it's eighty dollars a year, and you have unlimited entrance into any park. So if you're going to basically more than two parks, it's worth the money. You know what? I, I think we should link to that in, uh, on our website. I think that listeners yeah. who are intrigued about national parks would would enjoy that. I, I didn't know anything about that until now. I, I really was not familiar with that. 
Well, if anybody wants to know about anything about national parks, send us an email at the, uh, you know, you'll give them the address at, at the end. But, sure. um, and I will gladly give any information you want. I have all kinds of information on these, on these things because pretty much that's all we do is go to national parks on our trips. It's great. <laughs> so, Joe, continue with the uh, trip report. Tell us uh, about the rest of your trip. So now basically the trip's half over and we're in a place called Wrangell St. Elias National Park. Um, there's one town in the park called McCarthy. McCarthy is an, an historic mining village uh, where the, in the 1930s, uh, or 1910s actually, to 1930s, there was this copper mine that they ran called the Kennecott Copper Mines. And if anyone was to Google Wrangell St. Elias National Park, you'll see these huge mountains. Um, in this park is the second tallest mountain in the country uh, besides Denali. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also going to be, you'll see pictures of, of this red mine that's built on the side of a mountain. And that is in this town called McCarthy, uh, Alaska. And there's only one road into McCarthy. It's a dirt road that is not recommended for your car if you don't have four-wheel drive um, and if it hasn't rained the day before because it gets too muddy. Mm-hmm. So we did not take the road into McCarthy. What we did was we drove to a town called Chitna, which is about an hour from the hotel I was just talking about. And then we took a plane into McCarthy because there's an airstrip, literally a dirt airstrip. Uh, we got to the parking lot at the airstrip, and nobody was there. It was empty. And all of a sudden, the plane came in to meet us there. We got on the plane and left. It was a five-minute thing. There's no TSA or anything like that. Um, so when we took the flight over to McCarthy, we went in around the town. The town probably has about 25 buildings in the entire town and you know some restaurants and things like that. And then there's a, we went into the area where the mine was, and there's one hotel there called the Kennecott Glacier Lodge. Because there's a glacier, literally a gigantic glacier, right in the town, essentially. So you can overlook and, and see where the glacier is. And then there's a mine. We took a tour of the mine uh, where they let you go inside. You have to put a helmet on in case anything were to hit you or anything like that because it's such an old building that's falling apart. Right. Uh, but So we did that, and then we went – after that, we went into a lodge that was inside the park uh, called the Ultima Lodge. And this lodge – Honestly, it's it was it's beyond words what I can say. What you do at this lodge is you get into these little planes because again everybody has planes, and you fly to an area where you want to hike in the park, and you hike. That's your day uh, into these amazing areas where you c- I could never go anywhere else. I mean, one day we landed on a glacier, and we walked around the glacier. We had no safety equipment, of course, but but we just walked around the glacier. We saw these ice tunnels. Another day we landed basically on the side of a mountain. And then we walked up to the walked up. We hiked up to the top of the mountain. Um, now, Joe, when they when you do this and they would drop you off, was there would there be somebody from the lodge escorting you, or would you be on your yes. own? Yes, mm-hmm. it w- the the any everybody was there had their own group. So there was I was at the lodge with three other families with their kids, and then it was me and my wife. Mm-hmm. And so we had our own guide for that for the time we were there. Everybody had the same guide the whole time. We were there for four days. And he would fly the plane, land the plane, then get out and hike with us. Mm-hmm. And in this park, I mean, we also saw bears. We saw moose. Mm-hmm. We saw uh, doll sheep on the side of the mountains. Mm-hmm. And he had a gun with him every time we hiked in case we got into a, a confrontation with a bear, which never happened, thankfully. Um, but he would carry the gun with him. And we would hike around after we landed in these places. It was, again, I mean, I, I, there's no way to describe it other than it was an amazing experience. Right, right. 
Um, I wonder if he ever did get into a confrontation with a bear. Did he, t- he has before. Um, yeah. He's never he's never had to fire his gun. You know, we spent a lot of time with this guy, so we were talking all about his life and uh, you know everything about that. So he was telling us his his stories and uh, about Alaska and how how unique it is and how great it is. And it sure. was just uh, it was a great. Like I said, it was just a great lodge. It was a great time. And, uh, was it the nicest hotel you stayed at on your trip? Yes, but I wouldn't even call it a hotel. It was more like you, you got to this compound where they had a main lodge right. where they had all the meals. And then you had a little cabin off to the side uh, where you stayed. So it really wasn't – I wouldn't call it a hotel. It was literally like a wilderness lodge. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, but it was the nicest place. I mean, it was it was like luxury in the middle of nowhere. Sure. There was no cell phone service. There was nothing out there. No TVs. Um, but again, it was just it was great. Uh, now, uh, what was the next on your trip? What was the next step? The next thing we did was we had we we left that lodge and we drove all the way back to a town called Wasilla, which is about an hour away from Anchorage. Yeah. Towards the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is where a town that you would pass if you were going to Denali National Park. Okay. From Anchorage. So Denali is about four hours from Anchorage north, and this town is about an hour away from Anchorage. We got an Airbnb there where we just really um, – it was only for two nights before our flight back home. And on one day, we visited another mine tour called the Independence Mine. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, – it was a gold mine instead of a copper mine like I had seen before. And in this place, it was the same idea. It was a falling down mine that was operating in the 40s. You took a tour of the place. And if you wanted to, you can pan for gold and keep anything you got, which I got nothing, of course. Um, and then we went to a place called Hatcher Pass, which is just an, an amazing viewpoint in Alaska that everybody recommends you go to if you're in that area. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we went to a town called Talkeetna. And that is it's – a, it's like another one of those touristy national park towns that is kind of literally at the end of the road. I mean, you drive up, you drive this road, and then the road ends, and you're at this town, and there's nowhere else to go. Wow! And it was a very, you know, artsy, fun little town to walk around. Ice cream stands on every corner, and that kind of thing. So I really like that town. I'll go back there. Uh, and then the last day we were there, we went to the Anchorage Museum, which is, uh, you know, just the the the. It was a main museum in the city, and it was a true, real museum. It was like something that could have been in New York. Um, I really enjoyed that museum. It was uh, the exhibits about natives, uh, you know, living in Alaska, and then like essentially took you on a tour of what Alaska really is. Um, the exhibits were great, and they also had art, just like you, you know, like you would see at the Met in New York City. Um, so it was a great museum, also. So, Joe, two questions, and then you came home. Was that the? Uh... And that was it. Then we boarded a flight home on the red eye, and we got home uh, the next day. So, Joe, two questions to wrap up this segment. One, when you would be driving on these roads, not necessarily near some of the more major towns, but in the more isolated spots, would you go long distances without seeing any other cars? Um, Yes. On one of the roads, it was called the uh, Richardson Highway, uh, which was the road from, I think it was from Copper Center, this town called Copper Center, to the Riddle Elias National Park. We didn't see one car. We wow. did see some moose on the side of the road. Really? But we, yeah, which are which were huge. They're as big as the car. But we didn't see any other cars. I mean, like I said, the half of the state lives in Anchorage, and then the rest are scattered around. So it, it, there's almost nobody around. Mm-hmm. If we did see anybody, it was obviously tourists and rental cars or campers. Sure, sure. 
Uh, and then, Joe, my next question was not necessarily unique to Alaska, but what is it about the national parks that appeals to you for vacations? Because as you mentioned, you've often visited national parks, and I know they're popular attractions. But for you personally, what draws you to them on repeat visits? Well, if you go to a national park, um, it's just so different than what you're living in now. So we live on the eastern seaboard, you know, the, the, the eastern part of the country. There are, there's nothing like that around us except maybe Acadia National Park in Maine or Great Smoky Mountains in um, uh, Tennessee, where there's just these wide open spaces, huge mountains, amazing hikes. Um, and then in some of the parks, like the Wrangell St. Elias National Park, it, you know, there's history where it takes you back into these mine tours. And uh, I, I just think it's really one of the most amazing things that we have in the country that we need to appreciate because these wide open spaces and these huge mountains and are there. A lot of people don't even know they exist. Mm-hmm. So I want to, so like, it's my goal. Like I always try to see these things while I can. Um, and it's really worth it. It's just, it's, it's amazing. We're going to be posting on our Instagram page photos from Joe's trip. I, uh, I've been meaning to do that. I just haven't gotten around to it, but, uh, please follow Absolutely. us on Instagram at the, uh, at the end of the show, I'll give links to all of our locations on social media and I've seen some of the photos. I've gotten sneak peeks of them, and they're absolutely beautiful. These are photos that you can't even believe they're real. Uh, you, you don't, you can't understand yeah. what you're looking at. It's just absolutely mesmerizing. I mean, I, I will say the Alaska was pre, uh, it was on my bucket list. It was one of the trips I've always wanted to do, mm-hmm. and it was definitely a once in a lifetime trip. I don't, I don't know if I could, you know, swing going back there again just because of everything that was involved and the time and the cost and everything. But it was probably the greatest trip I've ever taken. I would, I would go back there in a minute. Wow. Because I missed so many things. There were so many things I didn't even see. Sure. That I, I would love to go back and do it all over again. Well, that was an amazing trip report. That's definitely one of the more memorable trip reports on this podcast, Joe. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you. That was awesome. Oh, thanks for everybody who's listening. It's, uh, like I said, if you have any questions about Alaska or the national parks, send us an email and I'll happily talk you through it. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. So we're now going to continue with a uh, brief review of a concert that both Joe and I attended this past weekend in East Rutherford, New Jersey, the Taylor Swift Reputation World Tour. This was the concert, if you've seen it in the news, it's gotten a lot of attention because the entire show was in the rain and uh, made for a very memorable and unique concert experience. Now, before we continue, some of you may be wondering, this is weird. I mean, Joe and Scott, you guys are in your thirties and you're talking about attending a Taylor Swift show. Now we went with women. That's the first thing to keep in mind. <laughs> but uh, even besides the point, Joe and I could spend an entire episode telling you about why we think Taylor Swift's an amazing musical artist and one of the, one of the greats, but we're not going to get into that now. Just let us say that we're, we're big fans of her work and I've seen her uh, on several of her tours. And we thought we would just offer our remarks on this particular uh, concert. So, Joe, why don't I kick it off by saying that in terms of the evening, forgetting anything with the show, I actually really liked being in the rain. I thought it made for a unique experience. And at the end, it was a little bit too much to take because the intensity of the rain picked up. And certainly walking to the car in the parking lot was out of this world in terms of rain conditions. But you get so caught up in the show and it really is such a spectacle that you don't even realize just how hard it's raining until you actually think about it. So uh, what, what was your take on experiencing a concert in the rain? And was that the first time that's ever happened to you? 
I actually think at one point during the concert, I turned to you and said, I don't even feel like it's raining right now, even though it was pouring. Right. Um, just because, you know, you're not really thinking, you're trying to pay attention to the concert and the spectacle and everything. And I, I do think it was an awesome experience to be in the rain. I don't, I can't recall if I've ever been in a concert where the rain has been like that. I, I saw one concert at the PNC Arts Center in New Jersey, um, Iron Maiden, which is a little bit different than Taylor Swift. And there was... Uh, incredible thunderstorms uh, during that concert, mm -hmm. which was appropriate for an Iron Maiden concert. But after the thunderstorms, it cleared up. In this concert, it, there, it, did ne it never cleared up. It rained literally the entire time. Right. Um, so I, I think that was the only time I've ever been in a concert like that. How about you? I went to see Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at the Meriwether Post Pavilion in Maryland. And I don't know if it was raining during the actual show, but I definitely know that right before the concert it rained because I had lawn seats. I went with my friend Josh, and I remember several times almost slipping on the lawn because it got all muddy. And I remember walking to the car after the show, and as I was leaving the venue, just it was very messy, and uh, my shoes were totally ruined because of the mud. So that's the only rain show I remember uh, at MetLife Stadium and other outdoor venues I've been to, I think the Taylor Swift show was the only concert where it truly was a rain the entire time. I had a friend at the show named Bill who pointed out to me that uh, it was monsoon-like conditions. Now, I don't agree like, with that. I don't, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's a little bit too strong a description, but it was raining very hard. And uh, in terms of the concert itself, like I said, it was a true spectacle. There was a lot of technology involved in the show. The set for the uh, production was enormous. It had these massive video screens that uh, were on the main stage, and there were various technological devices employed during the show that really were things like you've never really seen in a concert before. There were enormous uh, replicas of snakes that would appear on the stage because Taylor Swift has taken on the, the snake type of persona after Kim Kardashian, I guess, mocked her for being a snake. Is that, is that how that yes, started? Yes, that's what happened. Yep, yeah. that's exactly what happened. Uh, so that was really cool. And there's a, just a huge operation that goes into a Taylor Swift concert because she travels to another stage on the floor during the show. In this case, it was actually two additional stages. Two stages, yeah. And the process of getting her to those stages and the effort that's involved both in terms of manpower and technology is something to uh, take in. So, Joe, we've seen Taylor Swift now on the uh, Speak Now tour, the Red tour, 1989 tour, and Reputation. How does the set here compare to the sets from those other shows? So, yes, I've, I've seen Taylor on quite a few concert tours. Taylor Swift puts on an amazing spectacle on every show. I will say that the conversation in my car on the way home was how the spectacle in this show was actually a little bit less than we thought in the 1989 and the Red Tour. Mm -hmm. The um, drama, you know, the dramatics, the, the fairy tale type sets, they weren't really there this time. It was the video screens were you know, front and center at this concert. Um, there are fireworks and the lights that she had and, and the snakes that were, you know, the inflatable snakes and all those were all there. And I thought that was appropriate for what she was doing. But I don't think her her set, the spectacle of, you know, the, the, the type of set and the type of show she was trying to put on was as over the top as it has been on recent tours. And I think that I like that. I really thought, I will say I thought this was her, the best concert that I've seen of hers, mm -hmm. and I've you know this is 
probably the fourth or fifth time that I've seen her now. So. Yeah, I, I agree. This was my favorite out of any of the tours. And even though the set was impressive, I remember when we saw her on the Red Tour, maybe it was, it just seemed like much more of a not the, theatrical type show and a lot more to just take in. Here, yes. Here was easier to just focus on the music, in my opinion. I, I, that's, that's something that stood out to me. Uh, now, Joe, uh, what were some of the concert highlights for you? Well, before I even say like what specific highlights were, I just I was very impressed with Taylor Swift herself. The the rain really was it wasn't monsoon like I don't agree with Bill, but it was steady the entire night, and you couldn't even tell she looked like she was having a good time. Right. She looked like she was you know there to put on a good show, even though she did mention that she was cold at one point and maybe a little bit tired. Um, I, I was just very impressed with the show that she put on and how she didn't really let it phase her and. Uh, and even maybe was enjoying it a little bit. I mean, it's well known to Taylor Swift fans that she likes performing in the rain and that it's more of a special time for her. And um, I was really impressed with, with her, that, her work ethic and, and that kind of thing. And yeah, I don't want to spoil it for in case anybody's going to but see this show alert, yeah. anywhere else. But, you know, she opened with the song Ready For It, which is an obvious opener if you have her new album. But it, it really works. I thought that was really good. Um the secret song, I, I can say that because she so far hasn't repeated any of the secret songs, uh, was Fearless, and it was appropriate because there's a line about her singing in the rain in that, in that song. And um, I was reading some reviews that people were posting about the show and how they were literally in tears when she was singing this song. Now, I'll say I was not in tears, um, <laughs> but I did enjoy that she threw that song in there because you know it was kind of a throwback. Um, and, you know, just like I said, it just looked like she was having fun on every song. So I really enjoyed the whole show. What about you? I would say that uh, for me, the musical highlight, so about 80% of the show, I would say, was from her new album, Reputation, Yep. Uh, which is a tremendous album. Uh, it's, uh, the other 20% consisted of hits from previous albums, although the amazing thing now about Taylor Swift is that her catalog is so deep that she can get on stage and perform a bunch of hits, and then you leave the show and think, oh, wait, she didn't play this, she didn't play that. That's right. really the mark of a great artist. Uh, in terms of, for me, the personal highlights from the show, I love the song I Did Something Bad off the Reputation album. I thought live that was absolutely great. I really, really was into that. It was fantastic. Now, my favorite song on Reputation is the song Endgame, uh, which she is a track she does with Ed Sheeran and Future. Now, Ed Sheeran and Future weren't there, and they kind of tailor the live performance to they're not being physically present at the show. So as much as I love that song, it wasn't a highlight for me because it's so different live than it is on the album. But I also uh, really liked uh, New Year's Day, which is one of my oh, favorite okay. tracks on the new album. Yep. And um, I really like Delicate, which she pointed out at the time was the number one song on the radio in the country. And uh, she did a great version of that song. That's, that's, a, that's a song that says a lot about Taylor Swift because not only is it a good song lyrically, but it shows a different way she incorporates musical styles into the song. It almost kind of has like a Latin type of beat punctuating the song. So that's really a great track. Uh, I'm not crazy about every song from Reputation. So a couple of the performances of tracks I'm not that big on, like King of My Heart, for King example, of my is heart, one of them. Yeah. I could have done without, but she's promoting the new album and the she's one of the only artists that can get on stage nowadays and play a venue as big as a football stadium. And most of the fans will know her new work, which is really remarkable. So those were the yeah, highlights good for point. me. Uh, and then, of course, oh, another tr another song I really like live was Dancing With Our Hands Tied, which is a song from Reputation. She did that on acoustic guitar. I know Joe is not as 
big into that Not song as I am, <laughs> but uh, I thought that worked really well. So uh, overall, I give I give the show two thumbs up. I really had a great time. It was a memorable night. Uh, Joe, how about you? Absolutely. I, I as soon as I got to the show, and especially after the show, I was looking again just to go the next night because I didn't do it, but I would have done it in a second. The show was that good. I really, it was the best, the best concert she's done for me uh, that I've seen, and I would see it again in a heartbeat. Uh, I completely agree with you. It was a wonderful concert experience, and I'll just conclude this segment by pointing out two Taylor Swift things. First off, one is a question, one is a comment. The comment is there was a really great article that came out recently. I think it was in Harper's Bazaar where Taylor Swift interviewed uh, Patty Boyd, who was married first to George Harrison, and then she left George Harrison for Eric Clapton, which was amazing because George and Eric were friends and remain friends even after that happened. And she basically served as the motivation behind two of the greatest songs in classic rock history, Something by the Beatles and Layla by Derek and, and the Layla. Dominoes, which was Eric Clapton, of course. And uh, it was cool to see, uh, read Taylor Swift interviewing her. Uh, she's a very smart person. She's very savvy as to music history. And I got a lot out of that interview. I thought that was really cool and something that's gotten a lot of attention. Joe, I know you read that and uh, enjoyed that as well. It was a great article. And uh, thank you for sending it to me and finding it. But um, I thought it was very interesting as well. And just the fact you know, that we we're talking about music history with, with Patty Boyd and Taylor is the one interviewing her, and I'm not embarrassed to say I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan, but yep. I'm also a huge, you know, Eric Clapton and Beatles fan as well. So it really, it was a great article, and any, everybody should go take a look at it. Yeah, I did like that. We'll link to that as well. And Joe, my question to conclude this segment is, uh, just generally speaking with Taylor Swift, give me uh, a couple of your favorite Taylor Swift songs from any album, just ones that stand out to you that you, you return to over and over again. My favorite Taylor Swift songs I've. I, I have two. I can't choose between them. Which, one is All Too Well, mm-hmm. which was released as a single. It didn't really do that well, but um, it was released as a single off of the Red Album. And the other one is Enchanted, which uh, is off of Speak Now, mm-hmm. and, uh, the Speak Now album. So those are my two ta- favorite Taylor Swift songs. She uh, unfortunately didn't play either of them at the concert we were at, although she did play one of them the night after, which I, you know, again, I was disappointed that I missed it. Uh, but and off the new album, my favorite song is Delicate. So I think those mm-hmm. three songs right now are my favorite Taylor Swift songs. Um, those are great. Which I, I admit I did listen to the, all three of those the day after the concert. <laughs> so, <laughs> Joe, before I tell you mine, I just want to say that All Too Well, which I think Rob Sheffield from Rolling Stone, who did a top Taylor Swift song list, he, I think that was his number one, if I'm yes, right about that. So it was. Uh, for me, that song... Is one of the greatest songs of all time. And I, I don't hesitate saying that uh, because it's a pretty song. Of course, it has a great melody. That's one of Taylor Swift's strong suits. But the uh, lyrics in the song, which deal with uh, a relationship that uh, has faded and the use of a scarf as an item that reminds her of the relationship. Right. It's just, it's, it's true poetry. It really is. It's a work of art, that song. It's an unbelievable track. So I... I'm very proud that uh, of you right now for choosing that song as a favorite. <laughs> for me, uh, I would say I try not to choose the hit singles as favorites when I know all the songs, but I, I keep going back to Style from 1989. I remember when I first heard that song, I was listening to the album on headphones and the track came on and had that great guitar intro and then this amazing 80s style synth beat kick in and it was just like, wow, this is awesome. Yep. So I love Style. I love Enchanted as well. I think that's a beautiful song. And for a song that's much simpler, but one that I really just never get tired of, I don't know if this is a favorite, but it's a song I really like from Fearless album, Hey Steven. 
which is a fun little country song uh, about a boy that Taylor Swift has a crush on named Steven. And it's just a, a feel good track. I would have loved to have seen Taylor live in the true country days. Uh, for example, she opened for George Strait on a tour. I think that yeah. would be the type of thing that would be absolutely at the time. You don't realize you're seeing someone that is becoming a legendary artist, but she has become that. So this was a great concert. Uh, any final thoughts on the show, Joe? Two final thoughts. One, she did not have a special guest at the concert. Mm-hmm. A lot of times on her stadium tour, she brings out special guests to play, play one of their own songs. Um, I was happy that she didn't bring out a guest. I, um, she actually sang another se- uh, secret song, if you will, called Clean. Even though it's not one of my favorite songs, I'm glad I got to see her sing one of her own songs as instead of yep. having somebody else come out and sing their the, you know their track, and, and I was very happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just a word about the two openers that we had: Charlie XCX opened the show, and I'm not a Charlie XCX fan, but I thought she did a you know a fine job. She was good. She got the crowd going, and whoever was there at the time because of the rain. Uh, and then Camila Cabello was yeah. the next opener, and Camila Cabello right now is you know she's extremely popular she could probably have her own tour of much smaller venues but maybe clubs uh but she's doing this and i thought she did she was fantastic i really um i really liked her before go even going into the show but i thought she did an amazing job i actually turned to the person i was with not you scott you're on the other side of me but uh who does not like camilla cabello as before the show and she told me that she was now converted into a fan because of the performance she gave. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to you know, say that the openers were really, really good and a great choice for this uh, tour. I love the opening acts. Uh, I'm a big Camila Cabello fan. Uh, even besides Havana, she has great tracks and her vocals are uh, tremendous. It's not a, a totally appropriate comparison because it was very different, but I remember when I was learning about the Beatles, they would talk about how in the early days, like 1963, they would be supporting acts on a tour where during the tour they became larger in terms of fame than the main act. So the fans would go nuts for the for the Beatles, and then when the ultimate act came on, the, the cheers would be less. Now that's not what happened here, because Taylor Swift is still much bigger than Camila Cabello, but it, it just is really cool, I think, that we were able to go to a concert yep. where one of the opening acts is one of the top artists in the music industry right now. So you're really getting your money's worth, even though it's an expensive show. You're seeing artists at the height of their fame. And I think for Camila Cabello, her fame is only going to increase. And uh, I would have certainly gone to see her in concert, just her alone, separate from a Taylor Swift show. So it was, it was I agree. Awesome. It was really agree. awesome. So Joe, now we'll turn to our stuff. We love segment. Uh, each week we talk about something on the show that we're very much into. It could be a movie, a book, a song, video game, etc. cetera. Uh, Joe, I will turn it over to you for the stuff we love. Let's talk about some stuff we love. So the uh, thing I want to mention on the Stuff We Love segment this uh, episode is a novel that I just finished reading. It's a novel called A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe. It's by somebody named Alex White. And the best way I can describe this novel is The Fast and the Furious in Space. Wow. And it's essentially uh, a book about a treasure hunter and a couple of other people who have uh, are racing against time to find a it's a warship and I'll call it a science fiction fantasy book but it really is like you're you're reading a movie wow. that would be a blockbuster right now so I really like this book if you just want a mindless um beach type read that you just you know just to get into something 
it's uh, it's a quick read. It's fun, and it really is like the Fast and the Furious in space. So I, it's uh, something I recommend. So Joe, just to confirm, the title is A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe. Yes. And who's the author? Alex White. The reason I ask, folks, is because I am going to immediately after this show records, I'm going to add that to my Amazon wish list because I, I I'm looking for books like that, just mindless entertainment and pure fun. So that's a awesome recommendation. That's great. So Scott, what do you got? I'm going to talk about, it's a TV channel, but it's also a streaming service. It's called Boomerang. It's available on many TV networks. What they show are mostly classic cartoons, but they also have some newer cartoons on there as well. The reason I'm mentioning it is because I subscribe to their streaming service, which I was able to do if you prepay for the year. I think it's only like $39.99 for the year or something like that. And there are apps available on streaming devices like Apple TV, Roku, and apps for mobile devices, phones, tablets, etc., and what I love about it is you get an amazing, very uh, significant quantity of classic cartoons and new cartoons. So if you grew up watching Looney Tunes, uh, the Jetsons, the Flintstones, Smurfs, they're all on there. Uh, the quality is really good. And they also have a lot of uh, classic animated movies on there. And what they do, which I really like, is they curate playlists. So they'll do, okay, these are great Looney Tune episodes featuring Bugs Bunny or particular themes and so forth, I believe they have. So, uh, Joe, I'm sure you've seen the Looney Tunes many times. It's a classic one with Bugs yep. Bunny where he plays in a baseball game. Oh, yeah. And, and that's a legendary <laughs> episode. I watched that earlier tonight and it brought back tons of memories. Uh, really great stuff. So my stuff we love is uh, the Boomerang streaming service. So we just want to thank everyone for tuning into this week's episode. Please follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod, on Instagram, Stuff We Love Podcast. We have a Facebook page. Please like it. We're uh, trying our best to post there frequently. We have a website, StuffWeLovePodcast.com. You can learn about the hosts. You can look at prior episodes. And we also have a products page where you can see links to the things we talk about on the show. If you click one of our Amazon links, if you make any purchase on the site, even if it's not one that we for a product that we directly link to, it does benefit the show, so check it out. Our website also has a blog, which has many great entries that have gotten lots of attention from around the world. And our email is stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com. Please write in and let us know your thoughts and uh, as... Joe mentioned earlier he's happy to answer any questions from listeners about national parks if you're curious. And then finally on iTunes, please leave us five-star reviews. Not only does it make us happy, but it allows <laughs> other people to find us in a much easier fashion. So uh, the show is growing. The show is uh, doing really well, uh, and we just want to see the growth continue. That's it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I am Scott. I'm Joe. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast. <laughs>